Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst, and I'm so excited that you're listening to The God Solution Show today. Well, today we're going to be continuing with the interview that we began last week. If you missed the first part of our interview with Dr. Paul Copan, noted Christian apologist and author, go to GodSolutionShow.com and get that interview under the Past Shows tab. It was a great start to the interview. This week we'll be doing the second part of that interview, and next week we're actually going to be finishing the interview. So it's a three-part interview, and you do not want to miss it. It's going to be great. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Paul Copan before we get into the topic of today's interview, or the second part of the interview, I should say. Dr. Paul Copan is a Christian theologian, philosopher, apologist, and author. He received his Ph.D. in philosophy of religion from Marquette University, and he's currently a professor at Palm Beach Atlantic University, where he holds the Distinguished Pledger Family Chair of Philosophy and Ethics. Anyway, he's written over 25 different books. I'm going to share a few of those with you in a minute. And he is an expert on many different areas of concern to us with this show. Specifically, he is a Christian apologist, so that is a big area of expertise. But he's also coming at that from the angle of philosophy. He is a philosopher. He's also an expert in theology, science, religion, and the historicity of Jesus Christ, all issues that are relevant to Christians that want to defend their faith to a world that desperately needs to hear about our Savior. Anyway, let me tell you a little bit about his books. He's written, Is God a Moral Monster?, which talks about the criticism that skeptics often make about things that they would consider unjust or immoral or unethical in the Old Testament and things like that. Paul Copan has written, Did God Really Command Genocide? When God Goes to Starbucks, A Guide to Everyday Apologetics, True for You But Not for Me, The Gospel in the Marketplace of Ideas, That's Just Your Interpretation, Responding to Skeptics Who Challenge Your Faith, Loving Wisdom, Christian Philosophy of Religion, An Introduction to Biblical Ethics, How Do You Know You're Not Wrong, and many others. The first time I encountered him was in his book, Contending with Christianity's Critics, which he co-authored with Dr. William Lane Craig. It's a great book. I would encourage you to get that one as well. Anyway, you can find out more about Dr. Paul Copan at paulcopan.com. That's P-A-U-L-C-O-P-A-N.com or paulcopan.com. You don't want to miss hearing more about Dr. Paul Copan. Anyway, we're fortunate enough to have him here on the God Solution Show. Let me set up the interview today by telling you a little bit about what we're going to be talking about right off the bat. We're going to be discussing naturalism. Specifically, we're going to be discussing metaphysical naturalism as opposed to methodological naturalism. Now, don't get too worried about those big words. Don't freak out. Let me tell you just briefly what they are, just so that you're not confused when we start the interview. Methodological naturalism, which is what I did as a scientist in my undergraduate degree in chemistry, is when you go to the lab and you use natural causes to explain natural phenomena. This is what all scientists do, and there's nothing wrong with it. And as Christians, we're completely okay with methodological naturalism. However, if we extrapolate from methodological naturalism, we get to metaphysical naturalism. So whereas methodological naturalism uses natural 
explanations for natural phenomena. Metaphysical naturalism is a philosophical assumption, because there's no evidence for it, which says there are only natural phenomena. Now, that's impossible to sustain either logically or scientifically, but that's what a lot of atheists do. So here we begin the second part of our interview with Dr. Paul Copan, and I'm asking him specifically about methodological and metaphysical naturalism. Here's the second part of the interview. Now, you mentioned naturalism a few times, and there's a difference between methodological naturalism and metaphysical naturalism. I think you were referring, obviously, to the latter of those two. Would you clarify for our audience what we're talking about here when we say naturalism and why this is so significant? Okay. Yeah, we're when we're talking about uh, metaphysical naturalism, think of three um, three legs to a, a stool uh, that uphold the viewpoint of naturalism. The first uh, leg of the stool uh, has to do with metaphysics or reality. What is ultimately real? And for the um, naturalist, uh, the ultimate reality is the material is is matter uh, the material world uh, you know nature um, is all that there is um, and so anything that is you know has to do with spirit or soul or something like that uh, does not have a place within the naturalistic frame of reference so so that's the the metaphysical part then there's the um, aspect of causation uh, causality uh, what's is, is sometimes referred to as etiology um, what uh, you know, causation uh, is basically deterministic, according to the naturalists, that uh, that you can predict based on um, what is you know come from you know from the Big Bang until today, you can predict what is going to happen because everything operates in this mechanistic, uh, deterministic fashion. Uh, there, so there is no free will, uh, there is no uh, God, for example, who can act in the world. Uh, the, all of those things are ruled out. So, so metaphysics, um, causality, you know, etiology, and then, uh, and then finally, uh, knowledge or epistemology. Uh, and for the uh, person who holds to naturalism, the uh, general uh, way of coming to know, some people hold it more strongly than others, uh, but it's basically science gives to us knowledge. The, the only way that we come to know is through uh, the scientific method. Uh, of course, the problem with this uh, viewpoint is uh, that uh, how is how can you scientifically show that all knowledge must be scientifically shown? <laughs> uh, how can you how can you scientifically prove that all knowledge must be scientifically provable? Uh, so again, it's it, it becomes uh, you know self uh, referentially self defeating uh, by referring to itself. It undermines itself, and uh, and and so we we're not denying that science cannot give us answers uh, but uh, but are there are there not other areas or avenues of knowledge that we can uh, um, have such as you know ethical or philosophical knowledge um, theological knowledge and so forth uh, why were why would those be presumably excluded from consideration so those are that's the the basic gist of, of naturalism uh, metaphysically speaking my undergraduate degree was in chemistry I love science and a lot of times I tell people, methodological naturalism, I go to the lab, I do some experiments, and we use natural explanations, natural causes for natural phenomena. That's fine. Nobody has a problem with that. But what you're talking about is this philosophical extrapolation that doesn't just say we're going to refer to natural causes to explain natural phenomena, but rather says there are only natural causes and natural phenomena. 
And of course, you just mentioned it, what scientific experiment could we possibly devise to state something like that, to prove something like that? It's impossible. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, one of the things that science does not uh, deal with, I was just speaking with somebody about this yesterday, science does not actually deal with the, or a lot, at least a lot of scientists talk as though science deals only with, um, you know, efficient causality. Uh, that is, um, you know, we're just dealing with uh, cause and effect. One thing, like one billiard ball bumping into another billiard ball, uh, but there is no um, intention or design uh, that is involved in these sorts of uh, actions. Uh, the problem is you have human beings who are who have not only consciousness but they have intentionality. They they act with certain purposes. Uh, and, uh, and and why should this be excluded from uh, from consideration when we look at the world? Uh, we do a lot of things for certain reasons. In fact, uh, one argument against the uh, the materialistic understanding of the human person uh, is uh, found in neuroscience itself, where you where we see the neuroplasticity of the brain at work. Uh, human beings, through intentional, purposive choices, can uh, can not only alter their behavior by engaging in new patterns of behavior, but in doing so, they end up restructuring or rewiring the neural circuitry of their brain. The neural pathways, new, new neural pathways are created through new, uh, new choices uh, that, are, that are not only made, but also uh, that are um, engaged in uh, over and over again. So it, it does suggest that there is a self that is not bound by matter that is making these choices that actually impacts the structuring of the brain itself. So, so again, we can, you know, I can, I can go on talking about these sorts of things, but there's a, there's a lot that um, what seems to be uh, bound by science and, expl and explained by science, actually you have to pull back and say, no, actually uh, there's, there's a, a better explanation, namely a self or a soul that exists that, I, that, that, is, uh, that is behind uh, these sorts of things, that, that everything is not determined by, uh, by mere uh, material forces bumping into one another in the world. So are science and faith at odds? Uh, certainly not. Uh, I mean, there may be certain points of tension or even areas of misunderstanding, such as the, you know, some people will point to the Galileo affair and so forth, which is more political and philosophical than it was um, a matter of clashing with the Bible, because Galileo himself uh, admitted in, or wrote in a letter to Princess Christina of Sweden saying that science, the findings of science and scriptures, insofar as both are understood correctly, uh, are ultimately not in conflict with one another. So he himself did not see this as a problem. Uh, modern, you know, modern science began, as I said, by people who were Bible believers, uh, you know, Newton, Galileo, uh, you know, uh, Boyle, Faraday, and so forth. These were all people who were well-grounded in the scriptures. They believed in a God who did miracles, but they also believed in a God who was engaged in sustaining the universe, uh, that he was a, a, a rational God who created an orderly universe that could be studied by human beings, that could be delighted in by human beings. This doesn't exclude miracles, um, but miracles, uh, you know, do indeed uh, show uh, a God who is concerned about and involved in uh, this world, that God has not left it alone. But that doesn't mean that we you know, you just think about people in the Bible themselves. A lot of them, when they hear a miraculous claim, they're incredulous. It's not as though they are um, that their their understanding of the of the uh, world and how it works is 
you know, is, is completely thrown off because they are open to miracles. No, sometimes they find it hard to believe that a miracle has taken yeah. place. Um, but uh, so there's no, you know, incompatibility here at all. Uh, even the two great discoveries of the 20th century that the universe began to exist and the universe is finely tuned for life. You know, these are things that have, that Christians have been saying for for you know millennia, <laughs> um, but but it, it took science uh, you know a long time to catch up with the uh, the biblical record itself that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and that God um, you know that God was the one who designed uh, the universe as well uh, that uh, that these things were received empirical verification. Uh, by the scientific community, and, uh, and and so again, we can go on and on talking about these sorts of things. And I gave the example of uh, neuroscience that does suggest that there is a uh, a self or a soul that exists, and even the studies in you know near near death studies, um, people who have near death experiences who are actually seeing things, experiencing things when their their bodies are actually um, you know. Uh, lifeless on the on the operating room table uh, their hearts have stopped beating and so forth they're still able to know things to recognize things to detect things that are going on uh, not just within the hospital but outside the hospital walls um, how is that possible if we're simply material beings so again we can, I can go on talking about the greater explanatory power of of theism over against naturalism I've talked about consciousness which is a mystery to the naturalist um, you know the the ex- existence of beauty um, why is there so much beauty in the world when it doesn't even contribute to the uh, survival of species or you know I mean there's so, such a vast abundance of beauty um, you know the rationality why think that we that rationality should emerge in a world of non rational processes that are producing uh, beliefs in us over which we have no control. Uh, according to the naturalist, uh, I mean, rationality uh, shouldn't make sense, but here we are operating, uh, assuming uh, rationality is indeed uh, um, you know, part of the, the structure of reality. So again, uh, I can go on, but, uh, but no, uh, if anything, theism offers a context for making sense of uh, how scientific minds themselves work. So I posed this question to a Christian philosopher once, and he didn't, uh, he didn't like the way I posed it. Maybe I posed it wrong, but isn't that kind of an argument for a metaphysical argument for God's existence, these laws that exist, these, for example, okay, rationality, you mentioned rationality. I mentioned to him, look, if, if this is a purely naturalistic world, how is logic any better than the lack of logic, right? Aren't they too just equally valid bumping around of atoms? I mean, could we possibly... I know we think that logic makes sense, but if naturalism is true, is there any way that we could prove that? Am I right? Is there some kind of... Doesn't logic itself point to something greater than itself? Well, sure. Uh, I actually uh, asked this question to Richard Dawkins when he was speaking at uh, Nova Southeastern University in... Uh, Fort Lauderdale, you know, Richard Dawkins, the world's uh, leading atheist at the moment, um, he, you know, I asked him, I said, if you hold to this view that, in a, that we're just living in a world of selfish genes and electrons and that we're simply dancing to the music of our DNA, why is it that you think that the naturalist is more rational than the theist if, according to you, what both believe would be nothing more than the products of blind material forces over which they have no control. 
and uh, and so you know Richard Dawkins he actually um, dodged the issue is Dawkins the okay. issues I guess uh, you could say, <laughs> but he he says well because science works uh, he wasn't of course uh, addressing the question then he ended his um, uh, you know he, he kept on rambling about uh, Democrats and Republicans you know <laughs> thinking that they're right and, and and so forth and and then he said and besides science flies rockets to the moon but religion flies planes into buildings. Of course, uh, it, it's rather silly because if you think about it, well, one, it was the Nazis that came up with rockets. Do you want to associate science with the Nazis? Secondly, um, it was you know those who were um, flying planes into buildings, they were, according to Richard Dawkins, simply dancing to the music of their DNA. They couldn't help doing what they were doing. Why should you hold them morally responsible for their actions? Uh, why were they being irrational? They were just dancing to the music of their DNA. If we're all dancing to the music of our DNA, why think that anyone is more rational than anyone else? If we, are, if we happen to be right about something, it is purely by accident. Uh, it is not due to any sort of rational merit that we have that we have you know, so this is the problem with naturalism how do you, how do you ground rationality how do you move from the this uh mass of non-rational material forces deterministically moved moved about um to rational thought to um, rising above those uh, those forces of uh, of, of matter, bump, bits of matter bumping into one another. Again, theism is is much better equipped to account for uh, the existence of rational thought than than naturalism. I mean, with theism, we can expect this sort of a thing to take place in a world in which God creates uh, beings in His image, but. According to naturalism, why think that rational beings should emerge from non-rational matter? That just doesn't make a you – know, that's a complete disconnect. Um, so anyway, they're, they're, you're right to ask those sorts of questions. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution Show. You can go to godsolutionshow.com to find out more about the show. We are interviewing Dr. Paul Copan, world-renowned Christian apologist. It's the second part of our interview with him, and I'm glad that you're tuned in for the show. This is off topic, but has anybody put together a solid metaphysical argument for God's existence that would kind of follow that trajectory? Well, I mean, there have been people who have been uh, writing on this uh, for a while. Um, you know, uh, Stuart Hackett, for example, has uh, has talked about this. You know, he's one of my professors at uh, Trinity Seminary when I was uh, getting my master's, and he, in his book, The Reconstruction of the Christian Revelation Claim, makes these sorts of uh, arguments. Uh, you know, others have uh, done so. Uh, you know, William Hasker, um, uh, um, uh, the the uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, Dangerous Idea uh, by Victor Reppert, I think, is also another uh, excellent uh, case that is made for the argument from rationality that rationality makes better sense if uh, God exists than uh, than if uh, we are simply the products of uh, these blind natural. Uh, deterministic processes that are that are non-rational. So so again there's a, there's some been some good work done here. There's a you know of course the uh, the Blackwell companion to philosophy uh of uh, or to natural theology by William Lane Craig edited by William Lane Craig and J.P. Moreland um does you know Victor Reppert has an essay in there and it's just full of uh, of arguments for God's existence. So uh so that's a a, a large tome. It's uh dense. It's well you know, it's uh, you know rigorous scholarship, uh, but definitely well worth um, working through and uh, and, uh, and and understanding it.
Wonderful. All right, for our audience, Dr. Copan mentioned miracles and near-death experiences. I just want to refer you back to GodSolutionShow.com. Please check out our interview with Dr. Craig Keener on miracles. He's done some great work on that. And also look at last summer's interview with Dr. Gary Habermas. There are a few different interviews with Habermas, but look for the one that talks about NDEs because we talked to him about near-death experiences. That was exciting. All right, now you mentioned Richard Dawkins, our favorite atheist, and how um, he disagreed with you on this topic and actually dodged the question. I'm curious whether he even understood where you were going with that. I don't. Yeah, it. he did have to ask me again. In fact, you, I did blog on this, and you can actually hear the audio clip. He had to uh, you know, ask for a restatement of it. Um, but uh, but, it's, but if I may just interject here too, and I know we'll get back to Richard Dawkins uh, on another topic, but um, it's ironic that maybe we should even predict this sort of a thing, um, knowing a bit more about Richard Dawkins. But on the one hand, he will talk about how, yes, we are simply products of these deterministic forces, that there is no good or evil, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And then on the other hand, he'll go and blast the, uh, you know, blast the religious, quote, religious community and, and the God of the Old Testament in particular for being evil. He even did a BBC series on religion as the root of all evil. And, uh, and well, evil does not make sense, given the worldview that Richard Dawkins is espousing. Uh, and Richard Dawkins, one, you know, he did uh, come clean, sort of, um, even though he kind of plays, uh, you know, plays off uh, you know, one or the other, uh, on his, you know, depending upon his audience, I guess. But he did say that when he's in the academy, he is a passionate Darwinian because he believes that um, uh, you know naturalistic Darwinianism explains everything. And uh, and but then when he is in the in 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 you know outside the academy, in social and political life and so forth, he said, "I'm a passionate anti-Darwinian because he recognizes that the the sorts of things that he espouses in theory." about who we are as human beings and, and being the results of blind deterministic processes, actually, you can't live that way in society and when you're engaging in political discussion and so forth, when you're trying to persuade people and show that their views are wrong, rather than simply the products of forces over which they have no control. Uh, so, he, so he does admit to being a passionate Darwinian on the one hand and a passionate anti-Darwinian on the other. Well, here is a, a serious um, colliding of the ideal and the real, and, uh, and, and what the Christian offers is uh, an actual bringing together of the uh, you know of, of what is real, and and how it is lived out in everyday life. So we come back to the beginning of our interview. If your worldview and reality don't correspond, you should reconsider your worldview. Indeed. <laughs> so Richard Dawkins refuses to debate Craig for that very reason. I've signed the petition online to asking him to debate William Lane Craig. And he says that, well, I'm not going to even share the stage with him because he defends genocide. He's talking about, you know, some of these Old Testament passages about the conquest of Canaan. So we know the real reason he won't debate Craig. I always say it's kind of funny. In the book that you co-edited with Craig, Contending with Christianity's Critics, Craig, in about four pages, dismantles Dawkins' entire God Delusion book. I mean, it's just embarrassing if you're a Dawkins fan to read that. And mm -hmm. it's exciting if you're on our side of that issue. So we know the real reason he won't debate Craig. But the issue does bring up the topic of supposed genocide in the Old Testament, something you've written a lot on. So did God command genocide? Well, the quick answer is no. 
Um, but let me just, and I'll come back to that in a minute, but I think it is in, interesting, uh, ironic, contradictory, <laughs> um, that Richard Dawkins debated somebody like uh, John Lennox, who holds the same <laughs> exactly. sorts of Christian views that, uh, that William Lane Craig does. Why, didn't he, why, did he re, why did he not refuse in principle to debate uh, John Lennox uh, from Oxford University? Uh, again, it just, uh, it, it just strikes me as, as being hypocritical, and I think... Um, I remember I talked with Alvin Plantinga, um, who's a noted Christian philosopher, and um, he had been at a roundtable discussion and you know, met Richard Dawkins. Uh, and this is kind of early on before Richard Dawkins had gotten into uh, the new atheism and, and so forth. But uh, you know, Alvin Plantinga did say that uh, that Richard Dawkins, you know, I guess there was somebody saying, well, hey, you should have a debate with Richard Dawkins. And, and when it was brought up um, between the two of them, uh, Richard Dawkins says, I don't debate philosophers. Uh-huh. Uh, so I think it, it is very telling that um, that his, uh, you know, he, you know, he does in his book, The God Delusion, shows that he is not philosophically equipped to uh, take on a uh, well-recognized uh, Christian philosopher like William Lane Craig. Um, you know, and uh, in fact. A lot of atheists themselves have criticized Richard Dawkins for his own ineptitude at uh, in doing philosophy, or at least attempting to do philosophy when, say, criticizing Thomas Aquinas and mischaracterizing him and his arguments, and and just a lot of uh, a lot of uh, flawed logic and so forth. So mm-hmm. atheists themselves have uh, have have made this sort of statement. In fact, uh, Alistair McGrath, who wrote a response to Richard Dawkins' God Delusion does uh, have an endorsement from the atheist Michael Ruse, who says, uh, Richard Dawkins' God Delusion makes me embarrassed to be an atheist. Well, I hope you enjoyed the second part of our interview with Dr. Paul Copan. Again, next week, you'll have to tune in for the third part of the interview. That'll be the final segment of the interview with Dr. Paul Copan. We'll be interviewing Greg Kokel the week after that. I'm sure you know about Greg Kokel. It'll be a great interview as well. Anyway, everything that Dr. Paul Copan talked about today brings us to the reality that we can be confident in our walk with God. We can know for certain that Jesus Christ really is who he says he is, really did what the Bible says he did, and that you can trust him with your life now and with the eternity to come. In fact, only he conquered death, so there's no one else that would be Credible when it comes to the issue of life after death. We can really trust him and what he did for us. The Bible says that God loves you, but that you and I are sinful and desperately need God's forgiveness. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, came and lived a perfect life on this planet and then died for your sins and mine. He took my punishment and your punishment on himself at the cross. The Bible literally says in Colossians that he nailed the record that was against us to the cross. He did that so that each one of us could have a relationship with him through faith. We don't begin a relationship with him or continue a relationship with him by what we do. We don't earn our place in heaven by our works. We come to him simply through faith, realizing that we have nothing to offer. If you've never taken that step and you want to begin a relationship with Christ and you want to put your faith in him, you can do that today and you can verbalize that through prayer. You could say, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are and that you died on the cross for my sins. Please come into my life. Please be my Savior and Lord. Please forgive my sins. Thank you for rising from the dead to give me new life. And thank you that I can look forward to an eternity with you in heaven. 
If you just prayed that prayer today, I would encourage you to get plugged into a body of believers, into a local church. Go to GodSolutionShow.com and see the list of local churches there. And whether you're a new believer or whether you've been walking with Christ your entire life, I would encourage you to get plugged into a local church. That's a great place to start. And we have several listed at GodSolutionShow.com. You can also get this interview and all of our past shows at GodSolutionShow.com. And while you're there, please let us know what you think about the show or Maybe if you have any questions that you'd like us to consider on the show, let me know. We'd love to get some people on the air that could address those questions. Anyway, I also need you to help grow this show. In fact, we are reaching people with evidence for the Christian faith. Some people that do not know Christ listen to the show on a weekly basis. I've run into many people just like that, and the evidence is overwhelming. But also, we're equipping Christians to defend their faith, and you can help. Go to GodSolutionShow.com to find out how you can help partner with the God Solution Show to get this message out. Well, every week I close by saying that an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. And I believe that with everything in me. I believe that if you really do approach the evidence with an open mind, and that if you consider it and search for Christ with anticipation, you will find him. In fact, the Bible promises you that, and I'm confident of that as well. So get the message out. Share the evidence with your friends and keep listening to The God Solution Show. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful afternoon.